Hello, and welcome to Future Fluency, a podcast from the National Association of Corporate Directors. My name is Dylan Sandlin, Senior Analyst for Content at NACD. In this episode, we rejoin Mike Lebrano, Judy Samuelson, Ram Charan, and Stilpen Nestor to hear their thoughts on how the role of corporate directors and corporate governance more broadly are evolving in an ever-changing world. Their discussion touches on the impacts of technology, the pandemic's long-term effects on governance, and the skills directors should develop to face the future. Well, this is a panel on the future of corporate governance, so it would be remiss if we didn't at least spend a little time discussing the role of technology, in particular, what's sometimes called the fifth industrial revolution. What impact will that have on corporate governance? And in particular, what impact will it have on boards? I mean, will they be replaced in the end by computers and algorithms? And I know that, Ram, you have thought about that. And I wonder also if I could ask if you can name, you mentioned just a moment ago, you know, a $6 billion company. It's great. Can you name some companies or give us some of the profiles that you think have have been impacted or may be impacted in the future by the fifth yeah. industrial revolution. So Mike, this is a trend continuing now from here. It has been established that there are three factors that every board must consider. And I use this four letter word must. Number one, the board needs to have a view of the outside world, not necessarily totally driven by the management alone. They got to get the independent view as well. Because it is against that they will approve, they will govern. Board is, in most cases, eight members, nine members, some 10 members. They need to have some clear view where they think their view, where the world is going. Number two, the technology. Technology of algorithms, AI. Now the technologies we will need in ESG and sustainability. All that. They have to have a focus. They cannot be everything to everybody. It doesn't matter how big you are. Focus is very critical. To do that, they have a very important item. And that item to get the right members in the board. Some members are obsolete now. And at the same time, they have to have the right CEO at all times. And that is happening a major issue because there are many CEOs who are still in the old and don't see the new. And there is the most important part, capital allocation. I call it the cash allocation. And that allocation is the balance between short-term and long-term how they are really, really doing. Those who are not balancing it for them, short term gets shorter. And that part, they have to watch it because they become candidates for acquisition and what's really happening. So there are large companies, small companies, they're getting it. But the traditional companies are still far behind in the use of digitization, digital business. They need to go faster. And now we have the ESG coming in here and they have to do the resource allocation, selection of people who do it. And then how they do the relationship with the management, uh, with the investors, long-term investors, and know the culture through sampling what's happening with the employees. This is here. And if the board is not functioning, that will be a very terrible thing to happen. Stilbon, your firm has done innumerable board evaluations and board reviews. What do you see in terms of the musts that Ram has just mentioned? Where are they ready? Where are they not ready? Let me turn this question around a little bit. Let me focus on the first part of what you asked earlier, which is the impact of technology on boards. Where I see boards going in the future, since this is about the future of corporate governance, 
On the digital side, my favorite story these days is something that happened here in Royal Post, our post office organization that used to be government owned, not anymore. There, they bought about 10 years ago or a little, a little bit more, a, a new sort of system, ERM system, enterprise risk management system and reporting system. And this system, at some point, due to a glitch that they didn't know at the time, of course, uh, put a number of people called sub-postmasters or middle management people uh, all around the UK. It showed that they were committing fraud. Now, this story went up the ranks from internal audit to the CEO. The CEO decided to fire them. The board looked at it and the audit committee and they all said, yeah, it's fine, fire them. And then these poor guys, and there were about 80 of them, I think, they were actually went to court and in the end of the day, 10 years after, they proved that the system had a glitch and that they never committed any sort of crime. So they got vindicated in court. Now, for me, this gives me a, a good picture of the challenge that boards have in the future when distributed ledgers and blockchains become part of the control system of companies, which they are about to become part of that. How do boards exercise, kick the tires on a control system that is fully algorithmic in a sense? And that's one of the huge challenges of boards. And it will become even more one. Now, interestingly enough, I think the answer to that is not boards becoming more technically minded, but boards becoming much more generalist minded. So more generalists, but with access to external resources that are much bigger access than they have today as boards so that they can effectively challenge. But in the end of the day, they're generalists because they should have a very strong moral compass on, it, on these things, which experts sometimes don't have. I'll stop here and maybe we can come back to this issue. Mike, just a little item. If you don't have the right CEO, it will not work. That is their most critical decision. And board of 10 people usually can't make a decision sitting for two hour meeting. They have six meetings at the most, most of four, half days in committee meetings. They got to organize to do, which I totally support what Mr. Pond is saying. So I go through about 50 boards. I sit inside the meetings. I see this, button down presentations, very little discussion, 90% is presentation PowerPoints, 10% of incisive questions, what's to be done in committees. I love what Mr. Paul said about the external resource. So I put that to the G director about 2010, that we should have an outside company of the CEO choice to come to the board and challenge the strategy. He said he would be horrified. But before he passed away, he did actually implement that in GE to get outside people to come and challenge the GE strategy. In Thomson Reuters, it was done before so that you get independent viewpoint. But that requires the agenda of the board, six board meetings, the effective time of board meetings are no more than eight hours. And there's a retreat for two days. Have a look at how they allocate time. This got to change. Judy, I'd like to ask you to chime in here, but in particular, since we're mentioning new technologies and the way that workers relate you raised employees as a key influence in the future of corporations, so if you could touch on that as well. 
Where this is taking me is, is just kind of another kind of X factor here in the conduct of boards and executive, which is we're also increasingly operating in an era of hyper transparency. As we've kind of watched events unfold in the United States anyway, employees and others have pretty good sight lines into the consequences of business decisions and are able to follow the money in ways that simply wasn't true a decade ago. And I think that's kind of another question under which boards are needing to function today. I mean, look at the ability of employees and others to understand exactly where the money that's coming out of the political action committee or out of the corporate treasury and going into political bundlers and ending up in the hands of politicians that if Jeff Weiner of LinkedIn used to say, you know, call for authentic leadership. And I asked him once, what does authenticity mean? And he goes, keeping your promises. You know, we have companies that are stepping up and saying something over here. And then we follow the money and understand what's going on in a political environment over here. And they just don't match. And I think that boards are subject to levels of kind of scrutiny today that are part of the opportunity here, I guess, you know, to be able to step in and say, what do we really stand for? And what are we going to be at? You know, I do think that this takes us into the area of employees because the money, follow the money. I mean, com companies continue to add contractors. I mean, some of the tech companies we're talking about here, half of the people are not really on the payroll, you know, which means that they don't have the same economic opportunity. They don't have the same access. They don't have the same protections. And it's often now the employees that are raising these questions. They know that the person on the other side of the cubicle is doing the same job as them, but doesn't have the same kind of protections and access and opportunity. And I think these things should be on the lens of companies today. We'll hear more from Mike, Judy, Graham, and Stilpon in just a minute. We recently had an opportunity to speak with Janet Foudy, Executive Chair of Deloitte's U.S. Board. Deloitte recently published a report about chairs of the future, so I'm excited to dig in. Janet, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be able to speak with you today about our Chair of the Future United States report. It's available now and is part of the global Deloitte series of similar reports based on interviews with board chairs of leading companies throughout the world. So tell me more about this report. How did it come to be and what was its focus? For the U.S. report, I spent time with independent board chairs from companies headquartered in the U.S. from industries as wide-ranging as financial services, academia, technology, energy, and pharma. We really believe spending time with progressive chairs pursuing modern boards is particularly important because of the complexity of business challenges we're facing right now. The pandemic has compounded the pressure that is not only put on CEOs responsible for leading their organizations into a healthy future, but board chairs in their role of steering this future. Put simply, the choices made by chairs during this period will help shape what kind of future awaits our businesses and the wider economy and society. For the interviews and subsequent report, we really wanted to dig in and understand how chairs led their boards through this time of crisis and how their experiences may be applied to future focus of their boards. There are three key things I found to be true about the mindset of board chairs. They're forward-looking, they recognize the wide and growing range of issues, including climate change and sustainability, digital transformation, and DEI, just to name a few, that they must address. And third is that they are passionate and purposeful. In terms of key findings, this may not seem like the most innovative topic, but how we use our time in the boardroom is critical. This was categorized in our report as organizing board meetings and materials, not terribly glamorous. Pre-reads versus what is discussed in the room in a meaningful way so we can get to actions and outcomes must be differentiated. One should lead to the other and not be repetitious. 
The other is talent, talent, talent. So talent has always been a focus, but how we look at talent and the strategic actions we need to take around recruitment, retention and development, and by the way, with equity at the center of all that, is at a whole new level now. How that's manifesting is through the emergence of new committees, especially talent. I'd add the same as holding true as it relates to technology as well from a focus of net new committees. Quickly, before I let you go, what would you like our listeners to take away about chairs of the future and their role in leading boards of the future? I think highlighting a couple of my favorite quotes best represents how chairs of the future need to lead boards of the future. They include the importance of staying curious and anticipating what's next. The quote is, board mindsets have to change, which means you have to be comfortable saying, I don't know, which board members sometimes are uncomfortable doing. We need to get to, okay, how do we think the world has changed on a long-term basis? And then what does it mean for us? The other is a focus on humanity. This particular chair said something that I really love. The thing I've learned the most about in the past year is the importance of compassion for the human condition. Thanks for talking with us, Janet. Thank you so much for having me. That was Janet Foudy, Executive Chair of Deloitte's U.S. Board. Now, let's dive back in with our guests. Judy, in respect of new technology and all of that, how does it empower employees in ways that maybe it didn't before? Or you mentioned how it weakens them in the sense that supply chains and contractors, but what does this offer for employees that to increase their influence, their potential influence? But we're talking about civil things, Microsoft Teams, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I look, I I defend boomers. I think they cared about this stuff too, but we had no idea how to communicate with one another. Mm -hmm. Employees are well equipped to build the kind of power from, you know, their safety in numbers and they're able to build the numbers. And, you know, there isn't a large company out there that doesn't have employee resource groups that are organized around different mm-hmm. identity lines and issue areas that are important to them. And this is a cauldron for taking action. And so technology is a backbone to all that, not just within companies. It's been the, you know, it's also been true in terms of outside influencers and their ability to call companies to account because of the power of technology. So that vantage point, you know, it's hyper transparency, you know, radical nakedness, as Jerry Rickman used to write about. And it's a space definitely to watch. And I also think that employees will be much more empowered in the future. Technology is one, but not the sole region. The, the, the fact that companies, at least in our parts of the world, what I would call the core sort of Western markets or jurisdictions, are becoming much more sort of knowledge based. So their employees, are also much more focused in things. Having said that, again, I, I want to point out that in this part of the world, in this side of the Atlantic, rather, we have the German example of employees co-determining, as we call it, or the running of companies that has been around for about 70 years now. So all of the large German companies, 50% of their boards are employees, are representatives of the union. Of the, the works company. councils. Yes, of the work councils. Of the work council, yeah. 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 Not the general unions, but, but the, the work councils. So in this year country, one of our best companies, John Lewis, is owned and run by its employees. Many companies tried to copy the John Lewis model. They were not very successful at it. In Germany, many people will tell you that it's something we don't want to change, but we don't really defend it very much and we don't want to suggest it to anybody else. And my question mark will be whether technology and the knowledge economy as it has evolved in the last few years will actually 
change employee participation. Mm, uh, mm. My last question, mm. and maybe Ram could dig on it, is whether a very open-ended stakeholder purpose, uh, which includes employees but everybody else, mm. actually runs counter to a bit more of a hardwired system of making a key stakeholder like the employees having more of a say in the business. Mm. It's a very good question still. Uh, let me mention to you a couple of things. More than 70% of the companies on this planet are run by families, whether they own it or not. Yes. It's reality, and that number is increasing, not decreasing. Number two, that the data and its total transparency to the employees is a requirement for empowerment. They can draw the data, they can massage the data, and we can have the analysis of data on the cell phone. There, the management has to give the guidelines under which they operate. And you begin to see the power increasing to the bottom because as a necessity, the speed of change is very high on the outside. The top management can't make all those decisions. So I'm handling with the growth companies and they're now coming to terms that here are 30, 40 major decisions. This is the team. These are the guidelines. Make a decision. As Jeff Bezos has said, there are two types of decisions. One that are reversible, go and make them. And there are ones that are strategic. We have to think through and do that. So I give you one example. This is the largest chocolate manufacturer in Turkey. It's called Ildis, and his name is Murat Care. All his meetings is doing for decision-making. He may have 30 people on the Zoom, including the lowest level person. He knows how to facilitate. He gets unfiltered information from the bottom up and makes those decisions. It has two values, one, empowerment, but second, the lower level person is learning the big thinking at the same time. Steve Jobs used to do that before this technology. Every Monday morning, getting people, looking at the whole thing, go and make the decision. Obviously, he made the fast decisions. This is happening. You know, we're talking about code determination in Germany. And of course, Americans don't like uh, employees on board. So let's be clear on this. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. It's cultural almost, you know, it's like, I, I just don't think it's happening. I think there will be innovation, however. And in terms of how, what Ram just described, how that becomes a system that actually helps support the company. This is not something for boards or for executives to be afraid of. I mean, employees do have the same long-term interests as the enterprise. This is their source of economic security. And they are the interface with, employees are the interface with both risk and opportunity. So ignore them at our peril, right? I mean, why would we not be taking advantage in this knowledge age of the firm-specific understanding that employees have with their customer base, with how to make an airline arrive on time, deep knowledge that they would have in their interface with a complex supply chain, with the, the nature of work and contractors and how work is going to be managed in the future. Employees are the centerpiece of all of this. And so I'll stop harping on employees as being the only, uh, you know, it's nothing. No, 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 Judy. Here, you, but it's an important right piece of the puzzle. You're right on. And I want to make a statement here. They do have a long-term interest and they devote their life. Why don't they get rewarded by equity as well? Why is it the top manager? This is very important because the lack of that happening is creating inequality. 
Yep. I want to be conscious of time, and I think uh, we will be um, uh, remiss uh, on another topic we don't discuss, which is the short to medium term, the post-pandemic period. What have we learned from the pandemic that is going to influence at least boards and maybe even corporate governance more broadly going forward? We have a new era dawning, which I call the distributed board, whereby these agendas are distributed over time. The board will meet physically. It will consolidate agendas at that point, the board and its committees, but it will be less often. And the rest will be more spread out, which will allow actually more deep diving and more focus because agendas will not be crowded. And I think that's something we learned, at least technically speaking, with boards that we we talk to and evaluate and and, and do all that stuff in the pandemic. Yeah, Stilpon, let me just add on to this. I'll give you some samples. There are six board meetings in most companies, many of them are four. You cannot have more than six items in the whole year that require depth. (laughs) So in this case, the chairman, if it is an outsider, Converses all the board members, picks it, circulates it. In one company every year, the chairman put down at the at each seat the items to suggest, and they pick four or five items. It's conversed together. The thing that I have not yet said, and I like to propose, is the board and the CEO. It's not the board alone. Yes, I, I agree with you, Ram. The, the, the point here, though, is for me that. This ties in very much something I said in the beginning, which is the high point of the hyper-regulation of governance. Yes. Um, Boards will be able to focus on the six things that you mentioned only if the whole noise of things that they are made to do subsides. This is, I think, part of the future. You will see boards becoming much more focused in the long term. That is an optimistic view of life, I know, but but still, <laughs> it is my view. They will become much more focused on the long term, and they will accept that management is the one that needs to deal with the actual running of the business and the control of the business. Yeah, I agree with you. It will not happen until they change the way they do the reward system. Annual bonuses will have to be eliminated. And the long-term incentive plan that I examine, they are not related to long-term performance. You're measuring on only one item, shareholder value, and that has many, many problems with it. So they need to tinker with the incentive system. Judy. I think it's going to require more than a tinkering of the incentive system. I think we have to take a a fresh, total fresh look on what are we paying executives to do? You know, we talk a lot about make, well, make it long-term, but you know what? When the weight is on stock, that's what they're going to think about when they're brushing their teeth in the moment and, you know, or going to sleeping through and during the night. You know, I have a sign in my wallet that says we cannot have a successful business in a failed society. And I think we need boards to be leaning into these questions that are sometimes feel larger than they are. But we have to make boards places where you can have these kinds of conversations, where you can be asking uh, difficult questions. All roads don't point to it being a win-win game. And there are real trade-offs involved. And the 
the status quo is just not sufficient. You know, I mean, you know, when we're rewarding tax avoidance and we're rewarding yes. incentives yes. that are not really in the long-term interests of the society that grants the license to operate, something is simply amiss. And we're going to need boards that are willing to open up these questions. And they're not easy questions to create conversation about because there are real trade-offs involved. I've learned an enormous amount from this panel. I'd like to ask each of you if you could sum up just in a couple of minutes your own takeaways and any last words that you have. I'll start with Ram. So mindset <laughs> of the board is broader, but it needs to focus. It cannot satisfy all stakeholders. Their relative performance financially will be judged. That's not negotiable. They must have the right CEO all the time. Without that, they cannot act. And I want to reinforce Mr. Pons' idea of the focused agenda every year. Focus on it, what they are. And the duties agenda items she mentioned so so nicely, so clearly, it is the employees. They have long-term invest and their long-term interest. Why should they not be rewarded on the same philosophy as the top management? Inequality is a big deal in our nation. Silvan, you want to go next? Sure. I found this discussion fascinating, too. And so my thanks go to all of you. As I said, I mean, I think the future holds for us first that companies will become much more social animals. And this includes many, many things, a better reared for society and certainly more power and empowerment of the employees, which might lead to new organizational forms. But that's another discussion. I think boards will be freed from the short term of making a lot of business decisions at a lower level. And they will be more strategic and they will have a variable architecture in their composition. As I said, I think the discussions in boards and in order to get more long-term and focus more on strategy will be more distributed with more sort of one-item meetings that resemble like away meetings. If I can add one thing, which I consider a big challenge, is that going from here to there to this new social company, in a sense, we still have not found a proper accountability structure, which is what governance in the end is all about. I mean, yes, the Germans invented it 70 years ago. This is not going to fit in the US. I'm to I totally agree with Judy <laughs> with that. But there's nothing else there to take its place under then, you know, the buck ends with the shareholders in the end of the day. So that is the big challenge of the future. And Judy, I think you kicked us off, so we'll give you the last word as well, and you can bookend uh, it for us. Sure. I hate to end on the idea that the buck ends with the shareholder, because I don't think the shareholder is going to be the solution. I think they come in lots of shapes and sizes. They want different things. They got short term. They got long term. We're not going to get what we need from the shareholder. I do think that there's other places to turn. But I am very keen to see how the culture of boards evolves. I think that's critically important that we build governance systems that are, you know, we need fresh ideas. And we, you know, status quo is not going to get us there. And so I'm keen to follow how boards evolve to really welcome fresh thinking and, you know, contrary points of view. And that is partly diversity, but it also is going to require supporting the executive to, you know, do some things that are difficult. Watch this space. So uh, I, I think with, with that, I want to thank our panelists. This has been a fascinating panel. It's been my honor to uh, to just listen in and, and to Thank moderate. You, Mike. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Stilpine. Thank you, Ram. And we hope that the listeners have also enjoyed participating. That's all for this week, listeners. 
Tune in next time when we'll hear from Melissa Pichal, Melody Meyer, and Marion Hancock as they discuss how the private sector has shifted its approach to addressing climate change. That's next time on Future Fluency. For more resources and guest bios, check out the episode page at nacdonline.org slash podcast. Future Fluency is produced and edited by Bruno Falcon. This podcast is a production of the National Association of Corporate Directors. For more information on NACD or to become a member, please visit nacdonline.org.